0: From the NFL, we know the Browns have talent, but I'm not sold on this rookie head coach. To the NBA,
1: Kawhi Leonard has added his name as one of the best players in basketball. Across the landscape of college football,
0: the Pac-12 got how many teams in the top 25?
1: And so much more. Watson needs a Dana White.
0: It has too many chefs in the kitchen. The stories you want. The Zeke Elliott holdout could be coming to a close.
1: The opinions you need.
0: LeBron is coming
1: back with revenge on his mind. The king is back. It's Jay Wise.
0: I keep telling y'all my last name is no joke.
1: And Nathan Drinkard. If they don't win this game,
0: it's a wrap. Stick a fork in them. They're done. This is A Drink of Wisdom. Welcome to A Drink of Wisdom. With Nathan Drinkard, I'm Jay Wise. Thanks for spending some of your time with us. What's going on, Drink?
1: Let's talk some sports, baby.
0: Can't. To win for that yeah, I can't start a show without that lovely, lovely intro from your boy. Hey, and in episode 54, we're back. Champ week is here in college basketball. The Lakers take down the Bucks and the Clippers, and we discuss the future of the Brooklyn Nets. But we begin with the coronavirus, specifically its effect on the NCAA tournament. It was announced this afternoon that both the men's and women's championship tournaments will be played without fans. That means empty arenas for March Madness. That'll certainly be strange to watch on television. All right, Drake, let's keep it simple for this one. What was your reaction when you heard this news? <laughs> you say it's
1: going to be strange to watch on TV. I mean, that might be an understatement. Let me tell you. Um, I would say this, uh, as, as this virus have been progressing across the United States, across the world, for example, um, I, I tend to not take it serious. And so if you had to ask me this at the same time last week, I probably would have hit you with the, yeah, right, yeah, what else? Sound like the flu. Sound like the flu. You know how many people, the flu, the flu how many deaths get caused by the flu every year? Um, so at first, you know, I kind of had a non attitude about it. As the time has passed now, you're talking about the NCAA not having fans. We got multiple NBA games that, that won't have fans. I oh, don't your boy getting a little concerned at this point. I'm just going to call it what it is. Um, get a little concerned. If, if the NCAA is turning on, you know, the big bucks, and they're, they're thinking more about, hey, let's keep the fans away. Let's talk they're about the safety of the kids. The men and women, and and then you got the NBA talking about the safety of, of their players. It makes it makes you wonder. It makes you a little more, you know, concerned, a little scared almost to say, "Hey, man, this this is a real thing. This is a real deal thing." But as far as a product on TV, not gonna lie to you, I'm interested. <laughs> I, I listen. I don't. I don't want anyone anyone to think that I want someone to catch the coronavirus because I don't. But I would say I am very, very interested in seeing these games that mean so much to these young men and women that's going to get played at such a high level to get played with no fanfare inside the arena. I'm curious to see how the players respond to this. I'm curious to see how the referee responds to this. I'm curious to see how the commentators responds to this. I mean, you think about it, all these entities, whether it's the players, the refs, the commentators, they all feed off the energy of the fans. Now you don't have those fans there for obvious reasons, you know. And, we, we, you know, I'm just very, very interested to see. I think we're going to get a, a very insightful look of these games that we don't usually get because of the fans. Um, but, listen, to to give credit to the NCAA president, Mark Emmett, kudos, man, kudos. I think it was probably very hard for him to come and make the decision to not allow fans to this tournament, knowing how big this tournament is, knowing what this tournament means to NCAA basketball. Um, And and just the overall picture of, if you want to look at finance, merchandising, if you want to look at all that, I'm pretty confident it was very hard for him to make. I think he made the right choice. You always should protect your players. And hey, at the same time, you're protecting other fans as well, because as I hear it, if you come in contact with someone that's been overseas or been out of the country or whatever the case might be, you have a strong chance of catching this virus. So if you make the fans stay at home or go, you know, go somewhere local or somewhere closed in where you don't have a bunch of bodies getting in contact with with each other, you minimize the risk of catching this virus. And and, and that's what the, that's what the goal is with all this. Just to be clear to for the listeners, the goal with all this is to minimize the footprint inside these arenas and minimize the way, minimize the widespread, I should say. Minimize the widespread of getting this virus. The smaller the group is, the smaller the chances of catching the virus. So that is why you see all this, this fanfare of no no fans here, no fans there. So um as far as <laughs> My reaction to it, I think it's smart. I think it's right by the NCAA president. And I, for one, will be very interested to see this product on TV.
0: Yeah, this is, this is a tough one. And there's a, there's a whole bunch of different angles we can look at this. Uh, first of all, I just want to say you, you talked about Mark Emmert and the decision and the, I imagine the conversations that led up to this, uh, this call being made. Yeah, I can't imagine this was an easy, easy decision uh, for him to make. Uh, this is something, and this is something that's unprecedented. This is something we, we've never we've never seen this. Um, and but I, I'm going to defer to the experts and the consultants I imagine they talk to to make this decision, because, I mean, this is a public health. This is a public health concern. And with that, I mean, in a grand scheme of things, that outweighs, you know, basketball or any sport. So we got we got to keep that in mind when we're talking about these things. But that being said, the games will have a different feel when you talk about how will this affect those games. And it, it goes to something that we, we talk about, you know, when they break down the brackets on selection Sunday, we talk about, Hey, one of the, one of the things that comes to mind is, Hey, Gonzaga get the number one seed in the West. That ha- that has its regional benefits travel and you get a little home court. Well, there's no, there's going to be no home court for no home court advantage for anybody. So I'm looking at how does that play? In the betting world, you know, home court's good for a couple points. I gotta imagine that 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 changes the lines in that regards. And mm-hmm. then and then on the court, this is something that coaches you gotta be thinking that they're thinking of, especially teams that traditionally like your Dukes and your Gonzagas. Like I said, they normally reap the benefits of a little home court, especially early on, and. This is something you got to believe they're keeping in mind and they're going to be driving in their players come next week. Hey, that, you know, that whole thing where we, you know, get get some energy from the home court or from the home crowd. We're not going to have that. We're going to have to do this ourselves. The road teams got or the road team or the, the lesser seated team is going to you know, they're going to be under the same circumstances as us. They're not going to have to deal with the crowd noise. The referees, they're not going to be under any sort of pressure from the fans. Not that they should be, but we got to look at the human element in all this. So I can't imagine, you know, a Gonzaga out West getting advantageous calls. The game's going to be called straight up in my mind. So these are the type of things I'm thinking of. But just you think about this. It's just going to be wildly, wildly strange to just watch this on TV and just empty seats. From my understanding, And correct me if I'm wrong. From what I read, the families of players are going to be allowed to attend these games. I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that. I think if you're going to restrict fans, it should be a blanket policy. I get it. You want your you want your families there. But hey, travel down to the city. You just can't be in the arena. I don't I don't know if I like that special treatment is
1: what's the difference between a family member and
0: a fan at this point you know what right. i mean like right. that's that's what, I don't, what i'm getting at i i don't see that know? as any difference at all i get it you want to have your family down there support you well hey come on down to the city wherever we at hey i'll see you i'll see you before and after the game that type of thing but mm-hmm. hey that's you know that's just one of those little side notes but all in all you know the la- the last point i would tell you is this this is this is a sad this is a sad thing you know, I think it's definitely going to it's going to have an impact. I think even when you think about the simple task of, you know, just filling out a bracket, I don't think you do it with as much joy as you normally would do with this. um You know, with this public health issue we have right now. And and I know I just said last thing, but one more thing that this it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see how uh, how other sports um Attack this issue. Uh, will they use the NCAA's position as kind of, you know, will they fought, will they go along with what Mark Emmert has said? We've already seen some instances in uh, out in San Francisco, the Warriors' home games. You know, they're they're going to be playing uh, in an empty in an empty arena when they play the Nets. I believe that's tomorrow. Uh, the Seattle Mariners. I think all their home games uh, for the uh, for March, they're going to be played at an alternate location. So and I think that I think the NBA owners and, you know, senior officials or it might be the Board of Governors are looking at how do they proceed for the rest of the season. Um, so I, I hope that this I hope that uh, in the grand scheme of things, I hope that the professionals are able to get this under control. And we see we see we get this contained because if we don't, it's going to have a far reaching effect greater than uh, college basketball.
1: Yeah, um, to to hit on what you just said, as far as the Warriors for sure, the Warriors now, read they released a a press statement saying that they're not going to have fans for the foreseeable future, so that's the rest of the season or however this outbreak goes. And I did read um, that as far as the the NBA, the rest of the NBA, what they want to do is they're either going to shift games either to the the opponent's home if it's safer, or they're going to Select to use a neutral site for those games. Um, what whichever one is safer. Uh, just so you know, they can try to calm down, calm down the, the the outbreak or the hysterical of the outbreak. Let's say that. Uh, that's what they're looking to do. But you you made a fantastic point. And if this is true, I would love for somebody, uh, Mark. You know, I just gave you kudos for making this decision. Now you gotta you gotta kind of clarify this. What is the difference? If a family member can come and a fan can't come, blood? I mean, you still can get sick, but what's the difference? So, at the same time, if that if that's true, I don't, you might as well just open the doors and go ahead and make some. I don't, I don't, that's, they don't make a whole lot of sense to me. I'm, I'm hoping that that's just admiration. And maybe that's a decision that he's waiting to the very fine tooth comb minute to say, all right, no families, which would suck if you buy a ticket all the way out there. Yeah. You know, but you know, it's it's a tough decision all the way around. You know, so we'll see, man. But this should be a quite interesting tournament without no fans. You know what's right. gonna be?
0: You know what's gonna be interesting, and I, I I hope that this doesn't come to it. I'm just bringing it up. If a player catches this, then what do you? do? Let's just say, like, I don't know how it happens, but let's just say a player catches. I gotta because I gotta believe if that happens. Then we have to start looking at canceling games, because I mean, on the basketball court, there's going to be contact. I mean, that's just the nature of the sport. I mean, it's not football. We ain't um, you know banging to each other consistently, but that's just what, That's just another thing we're thinking about. You know, and something else that's interesting, the timing of this. It comes. They, they you know they made this announcement earlier today, and conference tournaments. I don't think the the individual conferences. The major conferences that started their play this week, which we're about to discuss, mm-hmm. they didn't really have time to maybe, you know, fall in line with what the NCAA says. So it would have been interesting if they would have made this decision maybe last week What the major conferences have, you know, followed suit. But as it stands, the ACC, the Big Ten, SEC and so on, they're moving forward with their tournaments. Fans are going to be at those games. And, you know, we did see some of the mid-major conferences, the Ivy League comes to mind, they, they flat out canceled their tournament, which yeah. which is a shame. Uh, you, I mean, I, I I think I'd like to see those games take place and, you know, it kind of re, it removes the opportunity for another team to get get that bid. They, you yes. the regular the regular season uh, champions, I believe in the men's in the men's side, it was Yale. They just get the bid outright. Nobody else has a chance. Uh, That's a shame. OK. So that's how they're
1: doing it so that uh,
0: whoever won a regular season, that's who's going to get the bid. That's how they did it in the Ivy League. So okay. that's obviously a shame, but, yeah. you know, it'll be, it's definitely something we'll have to uh, watch going forward.
1: Jay, let's stick with college basketball, but move to the action on the floor. The ACC tournament got underway last night with more major conference play this evening. It's ha- it has been a wild, week, a wild season in which we've seen upset galore and a few teams showing consistency of what a national championship should look like. So, Jay, which team across the major conferences should we be watching
0: most closely? Your guess is as good as mine. You know how in fantasy football, like the guy who goes on auto-draft, like, wins? That's how this uh, That's how this college basketball season is went. So, I mean, good luck. And if uh – be 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 uh be wary of like paying attention to the quote unquote experts. And I'm talking to one. I'm talking about the ones that are on TV and they wear nice suits. Just beware. Like you can, like we can give you just we can give you just as good synopsis of what's going on by just saying we're not sure, but we're gonna uh, <laughs> we're gonna give it a go anyway. Let's go ahead and start in the ACC, which doesn't have the traditionally the ACC's. You know, it's you can flip a coin between these guys and the Big Ten as being the best conference from uh, top to bottom ACC pretty top heavy this year. They don't have the depth that they've had in years past. So, you know, you got Florida state, they got, they got some great depth within their team as they always do under Leonard Hamilton. They're definitely worth watching. Virginia surprisingly up at the two line in, in this conference, they've won their last eight straight. We know defending national championship, uh, defending national champions. So we got to pay attention to them and they've won eight straight games. Uh, so after, I think it was a 7-5 and five start in conference play. They, they've they been hot, albeit all, mostly close games, and then so on. It goes Louisville and Duke. Th- those teams, we got to pay attention to them too. Keep an eye out for North Carolina if they get by Syracuse tonight. I know they finished dead last in the conference, but Cole Anthony's healthy. He's playing well, and Garrison Brooks and uh, Brandon Robinson, those guys can really play as well. So <laughs> don't be surprised if you see North Carolina in the quarterfinals tomorrow night
1: okay, okay, um, I won't be surprised thank you for the inside information um i uh, you know i'm a, I'm gonna go with you know when when all the chips are on the table, you gotta go with the guy that that usually rides to the top, the cream always rides to the top so i'm i'm gonna go with duke i I like that duke north uh state matchup. I can't never go wrong with that, but your team, your boys the the Virginia Cavaliers. let's you know. You hit me with a little nugget earlier. They're waiting on the winner of that that Notre Dame and Boston College game. But Virginia seems to be a team that can get it done in crunch time. Uh, they seem to be a team that can get it done in a low-scoring affair. And with the fact that we talked about, we know the fans are going to be here at the, the the conference tournaments. But if I'm some of these teams, like you said, I'm mentally getting ready for the NCAA tournament with the old quiet church gym. So, and then when when I look at it with that fact, I gotta go with a team that can get it done under all circumstances, and that's Virginia. Right, now I do like these other teams, but when I look at Duke and Virginia, I think at some point that that cream will rise to the top. Um, the survival of the fittest will come, and I think one of those teams will be the team that's uh, cutting down those ACC nets and holding up the ACC tournament trophy. But like you said, if I had to pick a dark horse, why not be North Carolina? This is a team. They got one of the best coaches in the nation, a legend, a Hall of Famer, and let's be honest here—they recruited at a very high level, just like these other teams. It is um, a bit unorthodox to see, uh, you know, North Carolina in the situation that they're currently in. But you know, stuff happens, and you know, it, some teams start off really, really slow and picks up, picks up steam as the season goes. That could be North Carolina, but as far as the ACC goes, I'm, I'm gonna take, I'm gonna put my money down on Duke of Virginia to win that tournament. Not the Big Ten. How do I feel about the Big Ten? Listen, first of all, I want to say I do agree with what you said. When it comes to the uh, the top two conferences, it is the ACC and the Big Ten. And um, the Big Ten, just like normally every year, Wisconsin, Michigan, Maryland, you know, where Illinois might be a, a newcomer to the top of the the fray there. But Michigan you know, State. Ma- Michigan State. Okay, what, I thought I said West Wisconsin, Michigan State, Maryland, and then Illinois is the newcomer. Um, yep. to the to the top of the fray. But listen, you know, once again, and, and I just look at it like this: if I was a betting man and I wanted to bet who who I think could take the conference, I'm looking at Michigan State or Wisconsin. Now, why am I looking at that? I like Maryland. I like Illinois. But let's be honest here: I think Michigan State got the best. They have the best player in the conference with um uh Cassius Winston. Um so it's very hard for me to go against the the best player in the conference. But I think Wisconsin probably be the best coach team just because I'd have seen them do a year in and year out. Um that team is about as consistent as the football team. I mean that they always find a way to to get to the top of the heat and they stick around for a long time. So you know when I look at those four teams and then we look at the the games that's gonna get played tomorrow. Michigan and Rutgers, and I'm looking at the the Iowas of the world, the North, you know, the Northwesterns, the Minnesotas. I'm just not impressed, man. I'm not impressed with the rest of these teams in this country. I'm really not. So I'm gonna have to take a team that's in the top of the fray because listen, these teams that's at, at these teams at the lower end with these double-digit seeds. Listen, you are double-digit seed in a year that the whole NCAA basketball. Infrastructure was down, so that tells me a lot right there. I can, you know, I can leave you in a room with my kid because I can't trust you. So I'm gonna go with Wisconsin, the the winner of this com- this conference uh ty- this conference championship tournament. Is it gonna be Wisconsin or Michigan State?
0: Yeah, it's it's hard to disagree. I, I'm definitely leaning more Michigan State. It, it you just get the feel with this is normally this time of year with Tom Izzo and these guys. He's normally got these these boys playing their best basketball around this time. They typically have some struggles early on in the season, and they finished the regular season with a 22 and 9 record. And even so, that's got them good for ninth in the final the final regular season AP poll. So that tells you the respect Michigan State has nationally, and it also tell you it also tells you how wacky of a season it's been that you could have a nine loss team be in the top 10 at this stage of the game. But outside of Michigan State, of course, we gotta we gotta pay attention to Wisconsin and how consistent they are and the type of ball that they play. Maryland's got Maryland's a team with some star power out there with Anthony Cowan and company, so we gotta pay attention to them. But man, the the depth the depth in this conference is something to pay attention to. Depending on who reaches the quarterfinal rounds, I mean, when we're looking at teams like Michigan, Ohio State, Iowa, you could even throw uh, maybe an Indiana in there. I wouldn't be surprised if we see if we see some more wild stuff in the quarterfinals and see some of those top C's go down. But when it's all said and done, I do like Michigan State and the Big Ten. Let's go down to SEC. We know it more, uh, mostly as a football school, but uh, we they got some they got some teams that can play some ball down there. And I, I don't think there's much to debate uh, in in this conference. I don't think they're quite as deep. As they've been recently, we got. I'm thinking about a team in Tennessee that's been down this season. They were excellent last year. Yeah. I thought we were supposed to see something from Georgia this year. I know they got one. I think they got one guy. Is it Anthony Edwards who's supposed yeah, to be pretty yeah, good? Yeah, yeah. And they're and they're on the 13 line just to hit a Vanderbilt. So, but hey, I'm looking at Kentucky. That, that's who I'm looking at in the SEC. You know, with John Calipari, and and these guys. We we talked about Ashton Hagens. Uh, or was it Tyrese Maxey? We talked about him earlier this season. I think Ashton Higgins actually has left the team for personal reasons. I don't think he has returned yet. But Emmanuel quickly is playing some great ball uh, in the backcourt for them. So it's it's hard to see another team uh, being able to unseat them uh, from the top from the top seed. Uh, of course, you got to look at uh, Auburn with Bruce Pearl and the, and the three point shooting they can come at you with. We got to pay attention to them and uh, LSU. That's a team that could be a dark horse in this tournament.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, listen, I'm gonna keep this short and sweet because if it is a conference that I did watch, um, it's the SEC conference. And, and let's keep it real. Kentucky, they probably on a, a line by themselves in the SEC. And then, like you said, you you got to give Auburn a shot. You got to give LSU a shot. We know Auburn was a elite eight. Final fourteen. Final fourteen. Yeah, they played Virginia. 14. In Final four. All right, so they they got deep off in the in, in the tournament, and the reason I bring that up is to say, hey, Bruce Pearl has shown that he can get these boys up when it's all said and done, when the cards are on the table. So that's why I do give Arvin a shot to turn to cut down those championship nets. However, until I I won't believe it until I see it. So I'm going with Kentucky. Um. I I think they would be the team that that raised the trophy for the SEC. Uh, Moving on to the Big 12. Um, Listen, first of all, hey, Big 12. This 10-team crap, y'all need to (laughs) knock it off. You're not the Big East. You can't – you're a respectable conference. Go out, get you two more teams, and come on with something. Like, I'm I'm about one real champion. Uh, Yo, knock it off, man. (laughs) Just go get two more teams – from that, that region, you're not feeling and, that advertisement. Nah, man. Like, <laughs> what are we doing here, man? Like, I I understand the Big East doing it because they was a conference that broke apart and came back. You know, I got that. And plus, they got that rich history that allows them to get away with it. But the Big Twelve, I'm not buying that. I'm just knock it off. It either way. Um, listen, Texas, Texas Tech, Kansas. Let's you know, listen. We know the big dog of this conference. That's Kansas. Bill Self. Been um, stepping all over these boys like a welcome mat for quite some time. Um, This year, I I really don't see any difference. Um, I I know you could probably throw out Texas. You could probably throw out Texas Tech uh, or Baylor. But listen, that's cool. Hey, Baylor, sounds good. But uh, once again, the slogan I just hit, I believe it when I see it. So um, I'm gonna take Kansas here. I think Bill Self got a rap on this this conference this year. Just because it's a down year for the conference as a whole, I think this is Bill Self ball game uh, to lose. And I just don't see none of these guys really doing anything to hurt Kansas chance of uh being the Big 12 tournament champion this year.
0: I I'd be real surprised if we did not see a Kansas Baylor final in this tournament. That that that's the level of separation uh that we've seen throughout the season. I mean, you you look on down the list. I mean, Oklahoma. Are, are we sold on Oklahoma? I mean, Texas and Texas Tech on the four or five line. I gotta believe whoever loses that game doesn't even get in the tournament. I mean, mm-hmm. Texas has been wildly inconsistent this season. They had a good stretch recently. Texas Tech. I mean, they were in the final. They were in the national championship game last year. Uh, they've clearly taken a step back. But but yeah, the the depth in this conference is not impressive at all. And yeah, when it's all said and done, as as great as Baylor has had, as great a season as Baylor has had this year, and they beat Kansas, they split with Kansas this season, so they have some capability. They got the capability to get the job done, but I, I still can't, I still couldn't go against uh, Kansas in this tournament. So I, I think they get the job done. Uh, on to the Big East, which has been wildly impressive this season. You could maybe, you could maybe make the argument that they've been better than the ACC this season. I don't think mm-hmm. I they'd they have a great case. Uh, I th- I believe Seton Hall had a chance to win a regular season title. I believe they fought to down the stretch, open the door for the likes of Creighton. Uh, we know that Villanova, we know with Jay Wright and how, uh, how great he's been up there for the, for that program. So obviously those are some of the teams we're looking at. Uh, can't forget about Marquette with uh, the, uh, Marcus Howard up there. Uh, he can drop a 30 bomb at at any moment and you know Providence and Butler, especially Butler, you know, they got some, uh, they got some tournament pedigree up there. So this is an interesting, uh, conference, uh, Xavier, you know, this is a team we typically see in the NCAA tournament. I think they have some work to do to get there. So it'll probably take maybe one or two wins to assure themselves of a spot. But, uh, besides that, if I have to go with uh, if I had to go with somebody from this conference, Hard to go against Villanova, but you know we just see them year in and out what they do.
1: You you know how sometimes you watch a bad show, right? And and you watch this uh, let's say a bad movie, but that bad movie always got that one little scene and you like I just want to see this scene and then I'm out like I don't care about the rest of the movie. That was the Big East for NCAA men's basketball this year. That was the Big East. This conference. If you took this conference away from um, NCAA basketball this year, it, it was atrocious. I mean, this conference was the highlight of the year, and I want to go out on record and saying this: this conference should get the most bids for the NCAA tournament this year. They should get the most bids, whether it's 17, teams, eight teams. I know what the pros say. I know we was looking at what uh, Joe Lenardi was saying about the bra- and the bracketologist hey, I'm not disclaiming what he didn't said. I'm not talking about his expertise. The man is good at what he do. That's why he get paid what he get paid. And that's why I, myself, was looking at his page to verify because, hey, he is who he is and he know what he knows. But with that said, I'm telling you right now, this is by far, if it's not the one, it's the, the second best conference, and they should have the most teams in the tournament this year. It's the most competitive conference out of the out of rest of them. We done talked about the gaps between, like, two and three and three and four and, you know, so on in the other conferences. This conference is a nail-biter. This is a straight nail-biter when you look at these teams in this conference. So I am very, very – now, as I already have my mind made up for the other conferences, when I look at the Big East conference, now I'm saying, okay, Creighton, okay, I see you, baby. Villanova, Jay Wright, come on. You know you can't knock them out. Seton Hall, you mentioned them earlier, and they big-time player. And then, yo, Providence, but it's just like, I wish we can pull some Big East versus, you know, Pac-12 type stuff right now just so we can see one conference beat up on the other one. Get a good laugh out of it, you know what I mean? <laughs> but, at the end of the day, I, I think it, it does come down to th- the top three teams. I think it, it's either Creighton, is either Villanova or it's Seton Hall at the end of the day. But I would not be surprised. Now, this is the one conference where I will say if a team was to get upset, I think it comes in this conference just because these guys, they play such a a close, you know, brand of ball that no one has a big gap in between the next team. So I could see an upset in this conference. But I'm going to go with that, that trio of Creighton, uh, Villanova or uh, Seton Hall being, you know, one of the three teams cutting down the nets for the big East tournament. Then, Woo. Oh,
0: well. Oh man. That's they Pac-12. made the cut. Oh, the Pac-12. <laughs> oh. <laughs>
1: woo, excuse me. Uh, for the, uh, technical difficulty, we got a team, we got a conference that just snuck up in the conversation and that's the Pac-12. Here's the deal. Um, But for my Pac-12 listeners, please don't get mad at me because of my, my Pittsburgh attitude about this. But I'm just going to say this. Listen, it's, and it's not because you guys play on the West Coast and we're on the East Coast and we got to stay up really, really late to see your action. It's just like you, you guys consistent. You got one team in the top 25 right now. That's Oregon. And then the re- UCLA, Arizona State, and USC seems to be the three teams that's going to make it outside of Oregon, unless you get one of your bottom feeders to, you know, win the tournament and then they're in. But, listen, you, this conference should be the conference with the least amount of teams. Like, let's call it what it is. They should get a hot three, three and a piece game. And I mean that piece you better be in the first the the, the first four game because I I'm I'm not buying what they're selling over there on the West Coast. I mean I don't know what's worse. their their football programs or their basketball programs at this point. I mean the Pac 12 is just out here just stealing money from the church. So I I'm gonna have to go with Oregon. It seems as if Oregon is the most consistent team in the Pac 12. And um but that that product they've been rolling out over there, I'm just not impressed. You might see it another way, man, but I, I'm not impressed. Um, Oregon should be the team. If they don't be the team, I don't think people are going to be like, wow. Oh. You know, it, it's just you, I, we got to add them in. They're a major conference. So there you go, Oregon, Pac-12 champs.
0: Oregon's the only team in this conference that, like, stands out above the rest. They're the only team ranked in the top 25. So – I mean, just, just really doesn't seem to be all that much to talk about. Although, hey, we looked at Bracketology and they got seven teams in the field so far, which is tied for second most behind the Big Ten. So that, that surprised me. Uh, I got to believe some of those teams are on the fringes and some of them might be at the very end of the bubble. So I, I got to believe that, you know, one or two, maybe even three of those teams, if they, if they come out in this tournament and they one and done, that might knock them out of it especially depending on what happens in other mid major tournaments cuz you know there's sometimes that a team will steal a bid by beating you know the the regular season cha- uh, champion like just say Dayton for instance if Dayton come out there that they're going to be in regardless but yep. if they lose their conference tournament that's a team that's been stolen a bid so and and again another thing you know some of these traditional powers in the Pac12 but I mean UCLA and Arizona come to mind I mean, especially Arizona. Arizona's been really good uh, recently under Sean Miller, and I mean they're just clearly they're just clearly not up to par. I mean, so we look, we got to take that in consideration, and I mean, again, I, w- I was shocked that Joe Lennardi putting that much respect on this conference, but uh, you know, we'll see how it turns out, and you know, if they, I mean, they'll obviously have a chance to prove themselves um, after the Pac-12 tournament. Now,
1: before we move on, Jay. I just want to ask you a question. As you see the latest AP poll got these guys currently constructed, can you see a scenario with two of these uh, mid-major teams, for example, Gonzaga, Dayton, um, San Diego State, you know, two of those teams being a number one seed once it's all said and done in the NCAA tournament?
0: You know, Gonzaga won their tournament, did they not? Did they beat Saint Mary's in, their, in the West Coast yeah. Championship game? Yeah. They did. Okay, yeah. So I gotta believe Gonzaga's gonna be in the one line if Dayton take care of, takes care of business. I mean, you and it, it it has to do with the lackluster play, you know, throughout college basketball this season from the major conferences. That's why we're even like having this discussion. I mean, if Kentucky or Michigan State. Had been more consistent this season. Those are the teams we would expect to be on the one line, but because it's not so, you know, that's just where we're at. I, I, Kansas, you got to think you got to think they're the one team that's they got nothing to worry about as far as the one line. Gonzaga should be on the one line. I got to believe Dayton's going to be at the one line at this point. So, I mean, those those look like the three teams that are if they, assuming Dayton Tech take, takes care of business, they'll be one seeds. That fourth one's kind of open. I don't see it being San Diego State because you got to think that Gonzaga is going to get the West region. And if San Diego State was to get a number one seed, it would be the West region. So they're probably out at this point. But, yeah, that, I mean, that fourth seed, it could it could be anyone at this point. It could be Florida State if they win the ACC tournament. It could be Kentucky if they win the SEC. I mean, we just don't know. But, yeah, I think uh, – Two mid-majors, Gonzaga and Dayton. Yeah, they could very well get number one seeds. All right, drink. Let's move to the NBA and the big weekend victories for the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers show earned two huge victories over the weekend, defeating the Bucks on Friday by ten and knocking off the rival Clippers Sunday by nine. The Lakers were previously winless in three tries against the Bucks and Clippers. All right, drink. Do these two wins prove the Lakers are the best team in the NBA?
1: First of all, let me tell you something.
0: We ain't worried about the three wins before this weekend.
1: We just worry about this weekend. And this weekend, my boy showed up. I always had confidence in him, man. Don't worry about what I said on previous shows. That wasn't the real me. Now you get the real me. My boy showed up and showed out, baby. You seen LeBron and AD out there doing their thing. You seen Avery Bradley out there giving Patrick Beverly that work. Patrick Beverly come out here and disrespect my boy talking about. He ain't a challenge. No, combing your hair ain't a challenge. But hey, let me tell you something. Don't you ever disrespect the king. He out here putting y'all boys to work. See Kawhi? Did you did you see? You seen that APP out on Kawhi in the fourth quarter? Or maybe you seen the APP out on Paul George in the second half because he was nowhere to be found. But it doesn't need to hear none of that. Oh, forgot about the reigning MVP. Where you at, Giannis? He came up a little small out there with the king, but listen, yeah, I'm came gloating. Up, came up a little hurt, didn't he? Yeah, he did come up hurt. I, I give him <laughs> that. He, he got hurt. Um, well, that all that aside, all that aside I, you know, I had to gloat a little bit. But here's the deal. Um, as much as I was impressed with this weekend, and I loved this weekend, this weekend did still show me that the Lakers still need another piece to compete with the likes of the Clippers. Um, the Bucks. They might be able to get it done. And the only reason I say that is because the Bucks look, Middleton, that guy just ain't dependable. He is not dependable. Bledsoe, uh, listen, Anthony Davis is putting up their productivity by his doggone self. And don't don't let Avery Bradley or Kyle Kuzma or Danny Green come to the party. That series is over. It is over. Uh, I just – if those guys, they, if the Bucks supporting Cass was a, just gave him a little more, and when I say supporting Cass, I'm talking about Middleton and Bledsoe, the two and the three, I would feel like I would be like, okay, they still had some work to do with the Bucks, But I'm just not impressed what I see out of those two uh, as of late. Um, but they're still going to be a tough out. Let's not get it twisted. They will be a tough out. And once Giannis come back and get them back on the right track, the Bucks are going to win the East. I still don't see them losing the East. Um now, when it comes to the real deal, the battle of LA, the top two teams, the talk of the town, the talk of free agency, the king, the guy that wants to be the king, Corn Rose versus my headline left a couple of years ago. Look, listen, <laughs> he, my leg showed me something. However, LeBron, what, what it showed me was LeBron he has to pretty much play to the next level in order for this team to have a chance. Whereas I'm looking at Kawhi here. He gets the fumble around. Why? Cause Paul George can kind of carry the load a little bit. Now we seen Paul George. He, Oh man, that guy was on absolutely fire in the first half. But at halftime, I don't know what he did. I don't know if he was dehydrated or he didn't drink the right Gatorade or what, but he came out in the second half and he was a non-factor. And, Listen, I'm going to tell you the same thing that I that I always say about LeBron James' led team. If a third guy comes to the party for the Lakers, it's a wrap. You can hang it up. You can hang it up. If a third guy comes, listen, LeBron has showed you what he could do when it's just him and one other guy. But if a third guy comes, if Bradley plays like that for the rest of the season, oh, yeah, my boy's going to be in the final. They're going to win it. They're going to win it. Because that's all LeBron ever needed, just a third guy to give them something. And and, and the Clippers, as good as the team they was, we seen something. Let me tell you what we seen. You have to understand that if you took Kawhi, you took Kawhi out of that team, the rest of these guys are kind of scratching and clawing. They don't have playoff success. Who else on that team got playoff success outside of Kawhi and Doc Rivers? Am I, am I missing somebody?
0: Ah, uh, not really. I mean, you talk about extended playoff success. I mean, they're they're a bit lacking. We've seen we've seen Paul George in the Eastern Conference Finals. It's been a while though. Paul.
1: Okay. Yeah. Paul George. Okay. So. I, I I thought it was somebody I was missing
0: that I want not think about. And Paul right. George. Yeah, that, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, you talk about like ch- ch- if you talk about championship experience, you're exactly right. Now there's some guys. I mean, Marcus Morris with the Celtics, he's been in the playoffs. You got Reggie Jackson. He's got experience when he was back with the Thunder. It's been a long time. So there, I mean, there are guys that have experience, but when you talk about championship level experience, it's LeBron and Kawhi. You're absolutely right.
1: Okay. Yeah. And so I mean, but I would see. And here's the thing, now. With the Lakers now, you got LeBron. We know what he – I have no need to repeat his resume. But then you got Avery Bradley. He went He went to – he won a championship with the Boston Celtics. You got Dwight Howard. He did not win, but he did take the Orlando Magic team to the championship, right? Um, And, and then you got Danny Green. Danny Green just came off a championship his, himself, right? So you have guys on that team with – Rondo, I'm sorry, Rondo championship – A lot of guys on that team with championship pedigree. And even if you want to say Vogel, Vogel was the coach of, you know, those uh, Paul George teams that you just mentioned. Vogel was the coach. So it's it's a lot of championship pedigree with the Lakers. Whereas when I look at the Clippers, we talking about championship pedigree being, you know, the conference finals or the NBA finals, like you said, it's two players and the coach. The rest of those guys, you know, you know, okay, I give Morris, but, you know what I'm saying? Well, who, what was that team really about when they made it to the Eastern Conference Finals? It wasn't Morris. It was more of Jason Tatum and uh, Jalen Brown. Like, those guys were the guys that was making the noise. It was So, I said all that to say this. The Lakers impressed me because they show you at times they can make it happen. But the thing that they did not show me in that game was – that did not show me that if LeBron is not at a superhuman level, they can get it done without him. That's what I didn't see because I just watched last night, you know, even though this has nothing to do with the weekend, but the game did happen. They go play the Nets. LeBron don't give the best performance. And, you know, he kicks out the ball to AD Wide open three, you got to make that, and he miss it. Now, I know LeBron missed the layup prior to that, and AD missed the layup prior to that. But my point is, you're going to have to make those open shots when you're playing, like, upper-tier teams. All right, yeah, you was playing the Nets. So you probably was like, all right, we missed the shot, whatever, go home. But just think about it as if you're playing the Clippers. Like, in game seven, you know, you're at home. LeBron kicks it out to you. you got to make those shots. So that gave me a bit of a worry as far as the future going forward. But when, when it comes to the best duo, you've seen it. You've seen this weekend who has the best duo in the NBA right now. It's the Lakers. Because for everything you can tell me about Kawhi and Paul George, either A, they both don't know how to turn it on at the same time, or B, they like to take turns but you never see them like really cooking together you know like I said you seen Paul George cook in the first half and I mean cook full course meal but in the second half he forgot he didn't even know how to boil water and then but then you see Kawhi come along like oh shoot let me go ahead and slap some on the grill right quick but it was a little too late so that on top of the fact that the third guy, so when we we talk about the Clippers, we always talk about the third guy the third guy being Lou Williams Sweet Lou, coming off that bench certified closer, NBA stamped approved, well that wasn't the case in this game Lou Williams didn't look like Lou Williams, he looked like Lou Johnson, and I don't know who Lou Johnson is, (laughs) but I'm pretty sure that's how he would play if he was playing in that game so, you know it was it was a weird thing. Do I think Lou Williams will bring you that performance every time? No, I don't. But at the same time, you had to ask yourself, okay, sweet Lou over here, what pedigree do he got on the high stage? You know, will, will we be able to get what we need out of him on the high stage? So, I thought that game did pick a lot of things that we can take from it. Now, these teams will play again on April 9th. So, we will see on April 9th if we get a repeat of the third game or a repeat of the first or second game, however you want to look at it. But look, the king was in the building, baby, and he showed you what he can do. And look, not to shortchange AD. AD is a monster on both ends of the ball, and we seen what that defense can do. Um, But I, I thought both performances was about what LeBron brought because – when he brought the energy and the attitude and the, and the getting on the ground for loose balls, the rest of the team was like. <laughs> but when LeBron brings that lethargic, I ain't feeling it tonight. The rest of the team brings that lethargic, I'm not feeling it tonight, including AD. So I like what I saw. I was impressed. Um, yes, I'm going I'm to say right now with my chest out that the Lakers are the best team in the NBA right now but we do still got a good little ways to go before the end of the season. So we'll see what happens from here on out.
0: Yeah. You can, you can definitely interpret the Lakers as being the best team. We, we're we obviously going to discount that performance last night against the Nets, but lay hey, we talked about this last week and how imperative it was for the Lakers to at least get one of these games. We thought the Clippers in our eyes was the most important win. If you had to pick one, but you get two, it's definitely a bonus. Now, I think it's a little bit of recency bias if we go ahead and make that proclamation. So I'm going to, I'm going to be a little bit more reserved. I'm going to say no, but Hey, the gap that maybe I saw between the Lakers and the Clippers and Bucks, it's definitely a lot closer. You got to say it's a lot closer. You can't say, I don't think you could say definitively right now that the Clippers and Bucks would be your favorite by a long shot. It's definitely close. I'd still give them a slight edge, but in these games, You talk about some things. Some of the things we were talking about on the Lakers side is that third score. Who is it going to be? You look at the performance you look at what happened against the Milwaukee Bucks. You get 30 from A.D. and 37 from LeBron. I mean, your next highest score was Kuzma at 11 on three for 11. So you didn't get a whole lot outside of your main two guys. But, I mean, we talk about Milwaukee and what's going on with them recently. I mean, Chris Middleton, Eric Bledsoe. I mean, can we get something from you guys? I mean, Middleton, you, you uh, your 50-40-90 is, is taking a turn for the worse, my man. I mean, come on. I've been talking you up. I've been singing your praises because when we talk about elite shooting, that's one of the things I'm looking at. But I don't know. We might have to – it might It might be a 40-30-80 come you know the, the regular season because it's, it's, it's going bye-bye. But, hey – I mean, I mean when when you got Giannis out there putting up 32 and 11, playing a fine, playing a pretty fine game before he got hurt, three point shooting wasn't much to brag about. But I mean, we talk about the duos, the Lakers and the Bucks. It's most certainly a mismatch. AD is an absolutely superior player than anything behind Giannis that they have. That just speaks to we talk about the MVP race. I mean, we talk about yeah, LeBron. LeBron is great, and he's definitely in that conversation. But man, you take Giannis away from the Bucks. If Giannis if I don't think this is going to happen, but let's just assume that Giannis was seriously injured and could not return for the playoffs. Do the what what are the what are the Bucks? The the best they could do is win one series. And I don't even I don't even know if they could win a series. I think they would struggle to win a series. That's how that's how great Giannis is and that's the drop off between Giannis and Middleton. That's just the way it is. As much as I like Middleton and as much I believe he can play, he's coming up small lately. I mean, we got to be honest at some point. Excellent. And you and, and you know about Eric Bledsoe. I mean, when we talk <laughs> about when we talk about X factors, that's the reason you're an X factor because we're not sure if you're going to be a donut or you actually going to show us something. So, mm-hmm. hey. But hey, as far as the Lakers Clippers game, I mean, Paul George, there's a couple things you can take for this on both sides. I think you're definitely encouraged if you're the Lakers because you hadn't won yet. And the Clippers came out there. They were a full strength. I mean, it wasn't a case where Paul George was missing like opening night. And Paul George, even in game two, I mean, he wasn't he wasn't himself. He didn't play well. And you lost both of those games. So you feel a little discouraged after that. But in this game, Paul George played well. Even though you, even though he kind of faded in the second half, I mean Kawhi was solid. I mean nine for eighteen, he was his usual efficient self. He didn't do much outside of scoring a basketball. He had no assists. I think that's something to be concerned about. But it, just like the just like the Bucks supporting cast, the Clippers' depth is something that we've lauded throughout the season. And I'm looking outside of Montrezl Harrell. They didn't get much of anything from anybody else. You talk about Lou Williams. I mean he's three for eleven with seven points. That's not enough. And then the starting lineup, I mean, Marcus Morris, my God, at some point, was, you got to. at some point, you have to recognize that your shot is not available and you got to do something else. You can't be jacking up that many threes and just clanging every single one up. And then I mean, Zubac and Beverly, I mean, you combine those guys with Morris, they give you eight points, eight points. I mean, it's, I, I, I'm sorry, I need a little bit more because... When AD and LeBron are playing this well, because AD in both these games gave you thirty, and that's that's right on the money. That what I would want from AD. Wouldn't you agree? If he gives you thirty, if he gives you thirty a night as your number two, you gotta Frank. If you Frank Vogel, you gotta love that. And then
1: and and he's gonna give you what he gives you on defense. That's the thing about AD. He gives you thirty
0: and he gives you the defense. That's tough. Absolutely, and again, we talked about the third score for the Lakers, and it was my. It's been my mindset most of the season that it's got to be Kuzma. Maybe it don't have to be Kuzma. Maybe it just has to be somebody on yeah. a on a given night that can step up. And in this game, it was Avery Bradley. Avery Bradley was fantastic. His three yeah. point shooting was, was lights up. out. He made a huge difference, and his defense and his own ball defense in particular is a big deal. So, and I'm not saying it, it doesn't it have to be Avery Bradley. Every night? No, it doesn't. I don't think it will be. I don't think you can rely on Avery Bradley to perform this way on a consistent basis. Maybe in a seven game series, you probably get Not one offensively or two of anyway. Absolutely. Not offensively. Maybe in a seven game series you get like one or two of these. But even so, in those other in those other games, you need Kuzma to get hot one night. You need Danny Green to have a great night shooting. It's got it does, I think it does need to be a third guy. Because in a seven-game series against the Clippers and Bucks, as much as the Bucks seem to be struggling right now, and the Clippers, I mean, we their depth is something that I believe ultimately will be the difference against the Lakers. So I don't think you can rely on these type performances. I think Morris gets it together at some point. I think you see a greater impact from Patrick Beverly, Montrezl Harrell. He's still playing well. My God, he's he's a beast down there. He played the good. Block. He had
1: a good game. Yeah.
0: So, but yeah. Well, I would be I would be a little bit concerned about Lou Williams because his game is somewhat reliant upon the whistle of the official with some of the things that he does. And we know come playoff time, because we see, we've seen it with James Harden, officials swallow their whistles more often. Yep. So you're not going to get some of the calls that you get in the regular season. But, hey, if I'm Doc Rivers after this game and I see what Paul George did, I, I feel pretty good about that. And when you combine Paul George with Kawhi Leonard, you get this level of Paul George to kind of rival what Anthony Davis is doing from the number two guys. You know, Kawhi and LeBron, they're probably going to be nip and tuck, or so we think. So Mm -hmm. my depth should be able to, you know, compensate and beat the Lakers' depth. I also will say this about the Lakers. The acquisition of Markeith Morris was a big deal in this game because you talk about, when you talk about some of the things they do defensively, his lateral quickness and his foot speed and his ability to get out and play guys on the perimeter is a big deal. And I thought he's more well-suited to defend a guy like Montrez Harrell as opposed to a guy like Dwight Howard who's one, who wants to stick, kick back and lay up in the paint. So even though Markeith Morris wasn't all that impressive offensively, his defense is something we got to pay attention to, his ability to move on a perimeter against other guys.
1: And one thing I forgot to add, what Frank Vogel, Frank, this for you, baby. This for you. I'm gonna tell you why. What he did in the second half of that that Clippers game impressed me. He cut the rotation down from eleven to nine. Caruso didn't get many minutes. If he got in it, I don't even think he got in it. And Dwight Howard got he got booted out of the, the that's right because of, yeah
0: because of Morris. Yep. Because of yep. Morris. Caruso so, and Howard both got seven minutes. I believe they both played in the first half. Yep. So. I got to give it to him.
1: That's a tough call for him. It's a tough call because both of those guys have contributed all the way to this point. So he had to make the call, hey, guys, I'm not putting y'all in in the second half. And it it was brilliant. It it was what the team needed. Why? Because now they let Rondo know, Rondo, when you get in, you got to be efficient. I mean, you got to give us more. And if you've seen it, Rondo had a way better second half than he had in the first half. First half, he kind of flopped around, missed layups, turned over the ball, did all this crazy nonsense. In the second half, he was pretty darn good running that offense without LeBron. And there's another thing. Those others played well without LeBron being on the floor in that game. They they didn't lose the game when LeBron went to the bench. I thought that was awesome. And I had to contribute that to the way Frank Vogel used that nine-man rotation. He knew the guys he needed. He stuck with those guys. And he got the job done. So I wanted to make sure that I threw that out there that, hey, kudos to Frank Vogel. He showed me that he's actually coaching this team and not just mailing it in because he got superstars. He's doing a little something out there. And I, I thought that was beautiful execution on his behalf.
0: Yeah. And as far as Rondo, I, I've been on him throughout the season because I think he is that, that guy that can come in and spell LeBron and run the team. He had seven assists in that game. That's what you want. create 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 efficient offense. But other guys, and let them kind of tread water while LeBron's out the game because he's not he's not playing forty eight minutes. He's not playing every possession, so he's gonna need some My breathers. Part. and the Lakers need the Lakers have to be able to tread water and they can't get boat race when he's out the game. That's gonna be too much. And last point on LeBron, you talk about the way he set the tone twenty nine free throw attempts in these two games combined. That is what I need to see. So his mindset, and his focus on getting to the rim—it's a huge deal. That's how he needs to play. That's been his strength his entire career, and it still is today. So that was great to see. If I'm a Laker fan,
1: Jay, let's shift across the country to across the country to Brooklyn. The Nets parted ways with head coach Kenny Axon in a difficult season married by injuries to star point guard Kyrie Irving. The Nets are currently 30 and 34, although they do sit in the seventh spot in the East and should make the playoffs barring a total collapse. So Jay, if you was the Nets' GM, who would you hire to be the next head coach? I'm,
0: I'm gonna just start. I got I got to get some of the stuff off my chest. I'm still. I'm I'm a little I feel bad for Kenny Atkinson and I feel bad for a lot of these NBA coaches that this happens to. Do we not remember just a year or so ago, Dwayne Casey won Coach of the Year and got fired the very same year? Now I get it. Now I get it. They Nick Nurse came in, they won a the championship. That that also could have been because you got Kawhi Leonard, a vice Demar Derozan. That we we can't just ignore that. But, you know, some of these some of these coaches that get I mean, you can you can even talk about Mark Jackson. You know, Steve Kerr comes right in and, you know, they have just instant success. But, man, it, it's hard. It's hard coaching NBA and NBA team. And especially when you bring in superstars, the expectations that come along with that. And and we all know let, let's not kid ourselves. The NBA is a player's league. I mean, coaches, coaches in most sense, I mean there are very few Greg Popoviches in this league that just have that type of cachet. And we look at the Spurs, we think of Greg Popovich. We look at most teams, we think of the superstar player. We think when we think about the Bucks, we think of Giannis first, before we think of Boone We think of the Clippers, we think of the Kawhi before Doc Rivers and so on and so forth. So with that in mind, this is a difficult situation. Uh, Kenny Atkinson, when I look at his time in Brooklyn, uh, his first his first couple of seasons they were not impressive, but he didn't have a whole lot to work with. And but you look you also look at that in the first three years they improved every season. And then some of the development that he was able to uh, have with these guys got you think about guys like Joe Harris and Jared Allen, Karis Levert, and you see the progress that they made. And then D'Angelo Russell elevating himself to All Star status. And they make the playoffs, and they gave they gave the Philadelphia 76ers a real good series last year, and even so, this year with K, with no KD bringing him in, you had Kyrie Irving, so you thought at at minimum you would be you know above five hundred and in the playoff race. And these guys, even though Kyrie played only twenty games this season, they're still, and even though they're six games or. I think they're four games below 500 at this point, but they're in the playoff hunt. They're in the seven seed right now, and uh, you know it doesn't look like there's a team at the bo- in the the bottom half of the Eastern Conference that's going to catch uh, the Magic or the Nets. So uh, this is tough. And as I understand it, it's one of those situations where I think it truly was a mutual, you know, parting. I think Kenny Atkinson. I gotta believe that he has some reservations about moving forward with this team. I don't know if he necessarily liked the fit of a Kyrie Irving. Um, and then you combine that with Kevin Durant. I mean, let's face it. Uh, these aren't two of the uh, most cheerful fellas that we've seen from time to time, especially Kyrie Irving. We talked about him uh, multiple times this season and just some of the nonsense that tends to come out of his mouth. So, I mean, we got to pay attention to that. And But, you know, moving forward, I would say this um, this this is a tough one, and if sean marks I, I gotta take great care and of making sure that we absolutely get this right because I mean, you didn't bring Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant in for nothing short of winning a title that that's the level of expectations that we have here. so I mean I'm thinking about i'm thinking about I'm thinking about a guy like Mark Jackson who's had, had some success in this league. We know about his time in Golden State. Hasn't had a job since. Not sure why. I, maybe it's maybe it's some ownership. Just Maybe he's not well liked by owners. But I, I got to believe he, if he wants to have another job in the NBA, I got to believe he's going to get one eventually. I, I think something that would be absolutely fantastic is if David Fisdale was to get this job. And... Is able to take over this team. The Nets are a real team. They're not like <clears> the dudes <throat> over there in the in the in the Garden f- f- flopping around, and we can't figure out what they're doing. What hold they're, on,
1: hold on. That they, that team in the Garden was put together to compete at a high level, and and maybe think about winning a championship.
0: You heard him. I, I thought they were supposed to be highly competitive. We expected to be competitive. Came out there in that press conference. What a joke. Yeah, J- James Dolan just eating it up. Like, yeah, I don't understand what's going on. Hey, Fizzdale, get out of here. Okay. And then next thing you know, like later, they're both gone. The freaking <laughs> frack up there. Hey, man. But hey, I, I think David Finsdale, I, I think that uh, that's another situation where a coach has just been set up for absolute failure. I mean, this, I mean we've, we've seen Finsdale in this league. We saw what he did in Memphis. Been a, was a great assistant in Miami for many years. And I think he's a guy that deserves another shot. But, I mean, it's tough. And we talked about this. You made great points on this. I'm sure you'll get into it. It takes a special kind of coach to coach superstar talent. One of the names that always comes to mind is Phil Jackson, who can not only get the X's and O's down, but he can manage personalities. And you talk about managing personalities. Woo! It's a fine line over here with KD and Kyrie. So, and Sean Marks, I would would just – for Sean Marks, the general manager, take your time. Don't be in no hurry. Take the, the take the rest of the season. Don't let Jock Vaughn run this thing the rest of the season. See how it turns out. And I got to believe this is a, a decision and a hire that will get done in the offseason.
1: Um, listen, uh, it, when it comes down to it, man, and you got two – First of all, you got Kevin Durant coming, and, and Kevin Durant. Listen, most people think he the best player in the world. Some think he the second best. He don't drop no further than the fourth best uh, on the worst list. Then you got Kyrie Irving, the best ball handler in the league, superstar. Um, both of these guys are mega stars. You do you know it's only seven players in the NBA that have a signature shoe that then came out with you know more than five pairs of a signature shoe the signature shoe and those two are two of the seven players that tells you the magnitude of both of these players the aura around these players with that said i'm of the i'm of the mindset of this if you're gonna bring in a coach i hey we ain't got no time for the bs it need to be somebody with a pedigree all right you got you got to have a resume i don't want to hear what you did in college I don't want to hear what you did with a bunch of B-average players. I don't want to hear none of that smoke. Listen, I got all the love in the world for Fisdale. But Fisdale, when he coached superstars, he was an assistant coach. He was not a head coach. That goes to Eric Spoelstra. Eric Spoelstra was the guy that coached LeBron and D-Wade and Chris Boss and the, and the, and the Ray Allens and everybody else. When... So when I look at that, I, I, I it's one guy out there. It's the only name that comes to me that that's out there that's probably ready for this spotlight or this job or this magnitude, and that's Tyron Lue. Say what you want about the guy, but the guy successfully coached LeBron James for three or four years when he came back to Cleveland. Listen, LeBron, do you know how hard it is to coach LeBron James? You know how many coaches he got fired? Man, you better stop. He sent Tyron Lu to the hospital twice in four years. This ain't. Let me tell you something. This ain't no easy casual stroll through the park. And what I hate is, is this is how you get the the, the situations like Kenny Atkinson. Oh man, got that talent, man. He got that talent, man. It's gonna be a breeze. All he got to do is roll the ball out there. No, no, no. You said it. You need a guy that can do. He can manage personnel and hit the X's and O's. Listen, it's not a long list of them. You got got, um, Chuck Daly is one guy I like to bring up when he was with the Bad Boys Pistons. Pat Riley, when he was coaching the Showtime Lakers. And then, you know, Phil Jackson, when he was coaching that awesome 1990-era Bulls team that looked the dog on unstoppable when Jordan was on the court. Then he turned around and said, hold on. Hold my coffee. Let me go and pull this in the 2000 with the Lakers. Like, man, I'm not saying the guy got to be Phil Jackson because there's only one Phil Jackson. But I'm saying the guy got to have a pedigree. That is why I come with Tyron Lou. You give me there I don't see the pedigree. If you give me, um, what's another name that was um, Mark, Mark Jackson. Jackson. I like Mark Jackson. But when Mark Jackson was coaching Golden State, Steph wasn't Steph. Draymond wasn't Draymond. Clay wasn't Clay. Harrison Barnes wasn't even Harrison Barnes, to be perfectly honest with you, and he ain't even considered an upper echelon player. You know, and he wasn't on the team when KD joined, so he, he didn't show me the necessary management of superstars that I would like. I need a guy that can handle superstars. I need a guy that's proven. And that's why I go with Tyron Lue, because he's proven. Not to mention, hey, he got done doing his stint with Cleveland. He said, boom. Oh, by the way, that Cleveland team that had one Kyrie Irving on the team. So he didn't coach Kyrie before. He know he got to deal with Kyrie. And he didn't dealt with a player that, that asked for more than KD probably asked. KD, as sensitive as he is with the media and all this other stuff, he doesn't really strike me as a guy that's very, very needy once he gets on the court and play. Now, he done made it known. You're not going to call him out his name and stuff like that. But when he get on that court, he considered himself low maintenance. I consider him low maintenance because I haven't heard anything crazy from him on the court, just off the court. You know, burner accounts on Twitter. You know, all uh, oh, that mess. But that's what he do when he's bored. But on the court, he seems to be a pretty coachable, pretty likable guy on the court. And I think Tyronn Luka can handle that. Um, so, listen. Don't let's listen. Sean Marks, I'll let your boy on here? No, I'm. T- I'm telling you right now. Don't bring no rooted poop. I don't have the resume coach in here. And then you're gonna get that coach fired in a year and a half. And then you're gonna get yourself fired. That's what's gonna happen. Both y'all are gonna get the boot. You got away with this one. Accident out the door, you still got a job. That's fine. You better make sure your next coach can coach superstars. Because buddy, Brad Stevens got away with one. He, Kyrie came and left, and Brad C. Was still the coach. It ain't too many of them type of um, opportunities out there. So you better get you a coach that can handle his business because if you don't get you one, you out the door with him. And that's the way I look at it. So Tyron Lue would be my, my choice.
0: uh just want to throw one more name out there, and this one comes with, a lot, with question marks of its own. But Mike D'Antoni, interest you at all for this job? Hey, he's got – hey, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, Players coach, offense galore. I mean, I don't know. What do you think? Listen,
1: listen. If he comes and then he, here's my problem with Dan Antonio. Let me let me be fair because I don't want people to say, Oh, he's just talking trash. Listen, give me D- Dan Antonio championship moment.
0: He obviously don't have one, and part of the problem is he's never been interested in coaching defense.
1: That's my no problem. I'm sorry. But I mean,
0: so, but hey, to that point, we talk about if you want to coach with championship experience, and that would obviously probably lead you to Tyronn Lue, because let's be real: if a coach has championship experience, he probably is not available. And you think about true, the guys, that have, and you think about guys that have won titles. We talking about Popovich. We talking about Doc Rivers. Eric Spolstra, now Nick Nurse. Those those guys aren't available. So, I mean, if if that if that's the criteria that's been set, then Tyron Lue absolutely is a logical choice. Now, I, I would caution you in this disrespect. Does Kyrie want Tyron Lue or is we just thinking because he coached because we know the the reason or part of the thing Tyron Lue in Cleveland was Ty, Tyron Lue was LeBron's guy. And we know how that thing ended in Cleveland. We don't know, nece- I don't believe we know necessarily if Tyronn Lue was Kyrie's guy. Now, true, but Ty-
1: I would say this, Kyrie never said he had a problem with Tyronn Lue. Ty- Kyrie thing was, I don't want to be a Robin, I want to be a Batman, I don't want to be stuck here, and then LeBron just bounces, and then he just leaves the, the, the franchise in shamble, and I'm kind of here flapping in the wind here. That was his thing. Yeah. i I never seen anything where he said, I don't like Tyra Lou. He wasn't my guy. He was LeBron guy. That it, but that's a fantastic point. And that's what we're going to find out here in coming days. Another guy I could maybe consider, but I put him in the same boat as did Tony, is maybe Dwayne Casey. Because, uh, listen, he's he's been in the Eastern Conference Finals. He never really got over that hump. But we did see he was able to get DeRozan, and he was able to get Lowry, and he was able to get those guys together. Maybe he could handle that. But, it, a, I mean, tough. you know, but you, the, my only problem with De'Atona is he don't coach defense, and he just ain't done enough on the championship level. That, that's my biggest thing with him. If he had to just gave me something in the Western Conference Finals, something in the Eastern Conference Finals, I would be more willing to be like, yeah, yeah, I remember that. That uh NBA finals he was in, and
0: he but that's okay, yeah. Your point on Dwayne Casey that's 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 another really good name. You know, the the situation he's been putting in Detroit has kind of been that's been pretty bad. That'd be that'd be a really interesting name because it'd be interesting to see if he could get it done with the likes of KD and Kyrie. Because when we talk about you know superstar duos that is just, it's leaps and bounds with those guys compared to (laughs) that boy Bar Soap and DeMar DeRozan. (laughs) So, hey, but hey, another wild card in all this is a guy who takes this job. There's gotta be, there's probably gonna be some uncertainty to it because I don't care what I see in videos or, you know, rehab reports or whatever, it's an Achilles injury, KD's coming back from. So we don't know what he's gonna look like when he gets back. So that's just something. Because
1: uh, this was the same KD we seen pop locking and dropping
0: it in the, in the locker room
1: hallway before the game. He was dropping, like, Oh, could a guy with an injury like that, do all that. And then he do one move to the goal, one single move to the goal. Like, Bloom. There we go. Yep. So you're right. Like you, you can, hey, I'd have seen a lot of videos of Ben Simmons shooting in the offseason. season. Tell me how that worked in the season. So,
0: it don't, Yeah, don't even. We don't even need to go there. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, hey, the, the Nets moving forward. Definitely going to be a team to watch for next year. And them expectations will come back when KD comes back. So we'll see how it plays out. All right, it's time for Rapid Reaction. A lot of topics and a little bit of time. Take us away, Drink. Oh,
1: yeah. The Cleveland Cavaliers and J.B. Bickerstaff has agreed to terms on a four-year deal that will make him the head coach after taking over for John Beeline in February. Your thoughts?
0: I don't know if it matters uh, all that much. I mean, LeBron, LeBron, I don't believe LeBron's coming back. And uh, J.B. Bickerstaff, it feels like he's been an interim coach for, like, every team in the league. Like, it took him this long to get a, like, permanent job, so no, I'm, I'm not sold on this one, but hey, good luck. The Bills signed veteran quarter Josh Norman to a one-year, $6 million deal. Does
1: that make sense? Yeah, man. Uh, one year, $6 million. Uh, you know, in the NFL, $6 million ain't nothing. That's that's under the the, the couch uh, cushion, as they say. And, and listen, jo- if Josh Norman can give you anything, he he balances out a little bit. You got an all-pro corner with Tredavious White on one side, and you get Josh Gordon. And maybe he plays slot corner or something. I don't know. But, yeah, I, I think it's a good deal. You're not paying him much. The Miami Dolphins are releasing long-time safety Rashad Jones. Does that surprise you?
0: What surprises me is they didn't trade him last year in the fire sale they had going on at the beginning of the season. They did trade Minka Fitzpatrick. I bet I bet they wish they could have redone that and traded Rashad Jones and kept good old Minka. So.
1: Mm. I don't think they get the same thing for him, though.
0: Now, Nebraska has added two football players to its undermanned basketball team in light of recent suspensions to guards Deshaun Burke Jr. and Cam Mack. Your reaction?
1: Yo, how bad is Nebraska? Yo, this is like going to Walmart and, hey, hey, uh, we're missing two stockers. You know what? Go to the front and grab those two door greeters and tell them to come back here. Like, how bad do your team got to be? You over here pulling people from football I'm surprised Scott Frost even signed off on this. Like, what what, what are we doing here? They must want to get no PT anyway. Cleveland Indian right-hander Carlos Caruso has been shut down with a right elbow inflammation. Is that a big deal?
0: Seems like every week there's a new Cleveland Indians injury that I'm reading about, especially with the pitching staff. You know, Corey Kluber's gone. Trevor Bowers is gone. Talked about Mike Clevenger a couple weeks ago. He's, He's down with an injury. So, it could be tough times ahead for Cleveland, so hopefully he can bounce back. After 13 years and eight Pro Bowls, Ravens guard Marshall Yonda announced his retirement today. Is he a Hall of Famer?
1: I think so. If you compare what he did to other guards, yes. Now, if you compare his resume to other Hall of Famers, you might could make a case where he isn't, but as far as a guard goes, yes, I think he's a Hall of Famer. The Panthers have signed quarterback Kyle Allen to a one-year deal. Are you reading anything into
0: that? What? Oh, no, no, no. Kyle Allen, not Cam Newton. Oh, Kyle. No, I ain't. Re- okay, Cam, listen, this is garbage. Like, Kyle Allen. <laughs> listen, Cam, Cam Newton ain't coming back. They just posturing to get a new quarterback, and he back there solidifying the backup position. This is whatever. 76ers all-star Ben Simmons will miss at least three more weeks as he continues his recovery from nerve impingement in his lower back. Do you even care about his status at this point? Nope, because um,
1: Joel B comes back tonight, and if Joel B comes and dominates and gets the 76ers back on a winning track, all that means is somebody is gone out of town at at the end of this season. So, no, I do not. 36-year-old cornerback Jonathan Joseph will enter free agency after spending their last nine seasons in Houston. Is that significant?
0: You know, he, he's pretty old by NFL player standards, but we talk about the Houston Texans and their defensive backs. Like Jonathan Joseph was their best defensive back. And Bill O'Brien, you know, he had peeled off every, you know, below par first round pick off the pavement and put him on the team. And Jonathan Joseph's still better than them, So it's unfortunate, but I, I, he was fairly good last year. I hope he comes back strong and uh, we'll see him next year at another, at another team. Last one, Grizzlies and Blazers tomorrow night in Portland. Every game counts in the race for the A spot out west. Who so you got, drink?
1: I'm going with the Grizzlies. You know how I feel about the Blazers. Um, just not so on them. I did hear Dame Dollars, he's back. Uh, but I don't even know if it even matters. That team just flops around. Somebody get his fish some water. I don't know. But, yeah, I'm going to go with the Grizz on this one.
0: All right. That concludes today's Drink of Wisdom. I'm Jay Wise. And
1: I'm Nathan Drinker. And remember, make tomorrow better than today, and make today better than yesterday. And you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna holler at you until next time, baby. <laughs>